Hi, and welcome to episode number 21 of Meet My Followers for September 2nd, 2010. I am your host, Kate Dworkin, and on this episode, I actually interview Mickey O'Brien at TalkBox. So today's guest happens to be someone who I, I think I probably m- acted more like a bull in her china shop and got her attention in that respect versus <laughs> actually uh, introducing myself and formally getting to uh, formally getting to know Mickey O'Brien, the VP of Marketing over at Talkbox. Mickey, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. Well, I mean, you know, I'll step back, let you introduce yourself, and then we'll get into the story of how we began to interact with one another. Well, for the record, I would never consider you a bull in a china shop. I would consider you someone with a strong opinion. Okay. Um, but anyway, enough about that, or more about that later. So, um, yes, I'm Mickey O'Brien. I'm the VP of Marketing at Topbox. Um, Topbox is a video chat company. It's been around for a few years, three years actually, and I've been with the company too. Um, and before that, my background, which probably colors my perspective on things, is I actually came from packaged goods originally, so the beauty world of L'Oreal, kids' cereals, uh, at Kellogg's and then eBay, so e-commerce, um, and actually it was eBay that brought me to the U.S. because you may have noticed the British accent. Yes, very much so, uh, and and so that's an interesting mix of things that uh, you were working with there. Was it always in the marketing side, or was it you know you kind of eBay finally made that switch for you, or or where where did that initial kind of spark for marketing in particular come from? Oh, no, I have been a marketer since the very beginning. Um, when I joined L'Oreal straight out of school, I joined as a brand marketer, so as a brand manager, running hair colorants, would you believe it? I had never colored a single one of the hairs on my head in my life, and I found myself running this million-pound business, multi-million-pound business in hair colorants. I don't know quite how I got myself into it, but I, uh, I loved it. I loved it. And from now on in, it's always been consumer brand marketing for me. Okay. And so then you make, you know, you make the switch over to eBay. You get into the digital side. You start to get that, that yeah. startup feel, I would guess. It's kind of more the, the entrepreneurial kind of – I mean, obviously, yeah, you're totally. joining you – know, it sounds like eBay around 2006 or so, I would guess. Um, 2004, 2004. Okay. So, so I, you was early on. Yeah, pretty early on. I actually joined eBay UK in 2004, December 2004, uh, in the UK. Um, The UK team was less than 100 people. Um, The company was growing triple digits month over month. It was unbelievable. I mean, talk about slides that were up and to the right. It was quite extraordinary. Very entrepreneurial in feel um, and had a very, very unique culture. It's a pretty different company now, Mm -hmm. but in those days, very entrepreneurial. You know, everyone's in it together. And everyone was winning together. It was a pretty incredible growth pattern um, at that at that point in time. Um, so yeah, fascinating place to join. So you get that initial feeling, right? You get the online bug. You you know, then they end up bringing you out to the states and and probably to their corporate headquarters. And then you decide yep. to go even smaller, right? You decide to get involved with this little you know video chat company and and uh, mm-hmm. based in uh, well, you guys are now in San Francisco, correct? Yeah, yeah, we're right in downtown San Francisco in Soma. So, yeah, it was a bit of a change. Um, You know, I think what's interesting is that, you know, at eBay at the time I joined, it was very entrepreneurial. And the the main reason I left was it had started to lose some of that vibe. You know, it was 13,000 employees when I left. And one of the things that was driving me completely crackers, to be totally honest, was, you know, there I am. I'm the, I was running global brand development. Um, we had created a new vision for eBay. You know, eBay was 10 years old. It had started to lose some of its way. We created a whole new vision for the company. 
I had created this team of 50 people who we called a proto-team, um, which was basically a team within eBay who were going to basically execute against that vision and show the other 13,000 employees what the future looked like. Because we believed that we couldn't just create a strategy and hand it out to 13,000 employees. We believed it would sort of die um, in translation. Uh, we called it, at the time, we called it a baby tiger. Like we felt it could grow up to have really big claws, but at the time it kind of needed nurturing and looking after. Um, so we created that team. So what was really great about that is we had this team and um, we then sort of went to push it out to the rest of the company through a kind of an intensive sort of internal communications process. Um, but it, it got a bit... Um, a bit hairy there in the internal communications process, mainly because actually at the same time Meg Whitman and, and Bill Cobb and Gary Briggs, who was the CMO at the time, um, stepped down. So that was really why I wanted to go into a startup because I wanted the opportunity to, you know, create some baby tigers um, and some more baby tigers for another company and, it, you know, be in a position where I could kind of nurture them and actually make them a reality for the end consumer. Much easier to do in a startup. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, moving thirteen thousand people, you you definitely have to start with that first domino. You can't try and do it yeah. all at once. And so that that having that foresight to build that small team and and you know crystallize that vision for that small group of people and then start to roll it out to individual teams and departments as needed um, is probably a really smart move. But I think that it probably more importantly prepares you for the kind of additional growth that you hope to have TalkBox go through in the next, I would say, probably yeah. 18 to 24 months, right? Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely our intention. You know, we're 20 people right now, um, and it's very easy when you're a team of 20 to get people to coalesce um, around a vision. And we all sit around the lunch table together here at TalkBox, so it's pretty easy to have an ongoing dialogue about, you know, company and, and brand strategy. Gotcha. Much so easier than 13,000. So, yeah, so... It becomes challenging as you, you know, as you get bigger. Fifty is pretty easy still. Um, I think the difficult time um, becomes in the sort of 200 to 500 um, bracket because how do you start to um, empower other senior people within the organisation um, to kind of push the vision and the strategy down to their teams at that important scaling time? Well, and also getting them to either buy into the same frame or add in enough that it makes it work in their world, right? I think that that's a huge piece that a lot of people miss out on when they try and change even products, but especially yeah. when it's corporate culture as well, because you're changing not just the product, you're changing the way that the company will operate into the future in these kinds of environments, I, I would expect. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm a huge believer in the kind of interconnectivity between brand and culture. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've always believed, you know, if you live it on the inside, it will show on the outside. Um, this idea of if your brand permeates your culture, then consumers can see it. Um, and I think, you know, there's lots of examples. You know, everyone talks about Zappos these days in terms of, you know, somebody who, you know, a company that really embodies that. And, you know, I actually went to Zappos um, headquarters about two weeks ago, and it's definitely true. Um, the experience of walking around the sort of Zappos office is kind of extraordinary. Um, and it definitely matches with the experience that I have had in, you know, buying probably one too many pairs of shoes um, from Zappos. Um, 
those what, boxes. They're just so tempting. Yeah, the, well, you know, they're, they're, they're stealing a lot of the plays from the right people, right? I mean, you know, we want to talk about another brand that lives it on the inside and then pushes it out. You know, Apple, who's now finishing their event. Yes, we're recording this a yeah. little bit early. Uh, you know, very much the same way. Uh, you know, I wish you would have given me a, a ring when told me that you were down in Vegas. I would have loved to have uh, done the four oh, and a half hour drive up. Uh, but, <laughs> well, you know, it happens. But, hey, you know, those, those things happen. But, um, you know... It, Talkbox is, is is its own little, for lack of a, a better term, its own little monster, right? I mean, it's it's getting yeah. into this this really competitive video space, which is getting pretty crowded right now, right? I mean, you know, there's mm-hmm. obviously the, the, the larger players like Skype who've been doing video, Google Talk as well now does it. Um, what is kind of the unique selling proposition for Talkbox, right? Yeah, and I think that's sort of evolving as we speak. I think the you know the initial value proposition of Talkbox was browser-based, so don't download anything, um, and I think that then segued into the second part of the value proposition, which was about multi-party chat. You know, it's a much easier to get a big group of people together if nobody has this kind of download barrier to entry, and definitely the kind of growth that we have seen in the last year has been around, you know, group-scaled chats. So, you know, the fact you can have 20 people in a chat, and then more recently, the fact that you can have an audience um, viewing and you know participating on occasion in the chat. So um, that last thing I just mentioned, which is what we call you know video conference, so the ability to have you know, up to 200 people watching a chat, I would say is our sort of what I call our lighthouse product right now. Um, so the product that I think really differentiates in the market, and we're starting to see some super interesting use cases. Whether that's you know gaming companies who are building community on Topbox in advance of launch by you know showing extracts of the game on top box and inviting common and getting people to kind of engage with each other um, before launch or to the sort of you know we have religious groups who use it for prayer sessions or then the slightly more um, probably predictable use case of you know um, d- diversified and geographically disparate um, sales teams and you know business teams so gotcha um, yeah so we're seeing some interesting some very interesting use cases and I, as I said I, you know I think this video conference product, which is sort of a talk show format, actually, um, is probably the thing that differentiates us the most right now. Yeah, I, I mean, as a longtime TalkBox user, I, you know, you can probably see my, my membership uh, join date easier than I can remember it. But, uh, you know, I've, I've been using TalkBox for at least, uh, you know, probably about 15 months now. Um, where, you know, I was every week, I would have two of my entrepreneurial groups. I've talked about both of them on, on the show previously with, uh, you know, the right set of people. Um, and every week, Monday nights and Tuesday mornings, I would sit there and I would have an hour call with these entrepreneurs who are literally all over uh, North America. And, you know, I was really close to closing one out in Europe, which would have been fun to uh, try and wrangle time to get everybody together there. But uh, it was a great, great experience using the, the service for that group chat mentality. I mean, you know, Jessica Kim at Babaco recently put up a video on her blog uh, and on her Facebook, actually, uh, pointing out how video chat and the experience that she had had with Joanna Van Vleck, who's now a consultant uh, in, in the Valley. Uh, she uh, had never met face-to-face with her, met her in Seattle when yeah. she was up there and said, you know, we get hugged, freaked out for 10 seconds, and then continued the conversation that we had had <laughs> over the course of the last nine months. So, you know, it's, it's one of those where you can build these relationships online, but it's, it's that bringing it offline that makes it really real. But this is a great interstitial when you can't do the physical in the same location kind of stuff. So I think that, that 
you guys are in a good space and you guys are hustling. And uh, so now we're finally circling back 10 minutes later, totally the way that Mickey and I have our conversations, to what the second question is, is how we actually got uh, inter introduced or interacted with one another for the first time. <laughs> So Talkbox ended up. I like sparred. Okay, I fair. Sparred, sparred. Spar. I like it. Yeah, no, I mean, we definitely try. We try and push one another, and there's definitely a growth, <laughs> you know, intention behind it for both of us. Uh, so Talkbox and it's growing. It, you know, decided to uh, you know leave a few features in in the dust, which is yep. a standard practice for any online platform. And as I continue to ramble on here, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, they they make that choice, and yep. one of those features was a key feature that I loved and so yep. they decided to have you know Mickey and the crew decided to have an open opportunity to kind of hear people out and show people what was coming and so I'll, I'll, I'll step away and let Mickey kind of color in what happened from there yeah so um, you're totally right Kay what we wanted to do when we were making decisions around removing said feature which was our video messaging functionality um, we decided, you know, that we needed to make what well, was a really tough decision for us because we actually really loved it internally and personally too. You know, we used it in our interactions with each other. You know, my family's obviously back in the UK, and so you know, you know, with an eight-hour time difference for me personally, it's great to be able to send video messages. I have a four-year-old niece who one of my favourite memories is her sending me "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" by video message. So we all have this kind of affinity towards it. I know, it's really cute, isn't it? So we had this huge affinity towards the product internally, and we knew that we had this small group of very sort of avid users who loved it too. But we also realized that, you know, when you're a startup, it's hard to do one thing really well, let alone multiple things really well. Um, and because video message usage was, you know, less than 1% of our usage, we decided that we'd focus on the other 99%, which was our group video conferencing. Um, but we decided that we wanted to tell people in advance, so we told people in advance, and we actually used our video conferencing product to have like an open forum for people to talk about it. So people did come um, and attend. It's interesting, actually, to me, and I okay, you probably have a perspective on this, is it's interesting that not that many people turned up to that video conference, you know, probably half a dozen or so, but the blog um, that talked about the post, uh, talked about the change, sorry, um, Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens well, of comments that basically say the same thing, um, and you know people really very upset about it. So I thought that was an interesting, actually, observation on consumer behaviour that people weren't prepared to come and talk face to face about the issue. And yes, of course, the scheduling difficulties and all that kind of stuff, but they weren't really as well willing to talk face to face about it. But the an anonymity. Is that how you say it yep. in American? Yep. The anonymity of uh, commenting on the blog, you know, was obviously a safe place for people to tell me how they felt about it. Sure. Um, well, and I'm going to actually jump vocal. in here. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they yes. always are in, in, in the comments, right? But um, yeah. one of the, the fun parts about this story, which I don't know if you chose to forget or just it was such a scarring experience, was the first time you guys <laughs> tried to actually uh, host that uh, yeah. video conference. Uh, I was the only person who was able to get in. So I ended up having yes. 45 minutes with you, and I believe mm. it was uh, one of the developers and, and a handful yes. of the team there. Who you know, we basically mm. tried out every feature of the conferencing service. It just so happened that I was more or less hosting the show, and it was a real precursor for what this has actually become. Now that I think about it, 
<laughs> you're killing me. You're killing me, Cage. You're bringing back such painful memories. I like to twist the yes. knife with people who, uh, you know, are takeaway features that I, I love. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, it was, it, it was a pretty painful experience. It was the joy of working in software. Yes. You know, says the girl who came from a consumer packaged goods background where everything was tested within an inch of its life before it hit a shelf. I come to software and there's, you know, such thing as alpha products and beta products and then bugs. And I mean, goodness big me. Big bugs. <laughs> and big bugs. And in my experience, which was one of the first um, video conference, you know, with our new video conference product, it was one of the first video conferences we've done. There were some almighty bugs. There was a lot of choice words to be had by me after that call. <laughs> I, I, I cannot imagine what uh, <laughs> you might have said in that debriefing after, you know, you and I get on there and you understand that I'm coming from a point of, you know, having been a community manager and I've done the product development <laughs> stuff. And at the same time, I know where all the pain points as a marketing manager Ooh. are. And so I know exactly how to just, just point them out and maybe just a slight tap, you know, a little flick on it just to see how you react. Uh, uh, and then you get in there to uh, back to your own team, and uh, it, 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 yeah, I, I would be very interested to hear. Mm. Some I have of their to say that is probably, you know, you were talking earlier about you know the big change for me to go from you know packaged goods to you, yeah. know, to you know packaged goods, and then in, into um, and big companies and little companies. I think the biggest change over my career has been actually the change from more predictable packaged goods to highly unpredictable software. And I tell you, it's really hard as a marketer. Oh. So hard. One of the biggest things that I had to learn in that process is I was taking over my own software product inside of a large, well-known domain name registrar um, was that at that point, I had to be completely comfortable with starting every customer contact, every email internally with, I'm sorry. And just go from there <laughs> because it just it makes life a hell of a lot easier when you sit there and, and people understand that like you're taking responsibility for it even though you really had nothing to do with it being wrong so yes. you know that was that was a big point for me in the entire product management product development cycle was when i just was like all right i'll just it's time for me to just grab that big <clears throat> you know spoon and start eating humble pie every day and actually, you know, as a marketer, that's where um, what we kind of glibly call social media sort of comes into its own. You know, traditionally in CPG, you know, all marketing is kind of one-way monologue by the brand. And it kind of, obviously, they're having to evolve now, but it's, it's kind of, um, I mean, it is what it is. Whereas when you move into software, actually, for you to stand any chance of being credible, it has to be a dialogue because things do go wrong and so that's where it's so much better to be using you know whether that's facebook or twitter or quite frankly top box you know the product itself to have the conversation so that you can to your point say sorry if you need to yeah well i mean, I've, yeah. I've loved this conversation I, i've loved the fact that we've touched on a lot of different things but uh <laughs> you've listened to a couple of the episodes before i do know so you should know what this final question is uh, but who are some of the people that you're following on Twitter and, and who probably you're interacting with both on your personal and, and the TalkBox account that are great content creators in your eyes? Oh, that's a great question. So um, I follow Seth Godin, which is probably quite predictable, and Guy Kawasaki. I follow their blog um, and also Twitter. I think that they have some really interesting, you know, interesting perspectives. Sometimes I'm not sure I'm clever enough to understand everything that Seth Godin says. Sometimes it goes slightly over my head. Well, sometimes so he's only talking confession. to himself. <laughs> is that a terrible confession? No. I'm like, is that a terrible confession to make? No, no, no. Because <laughs> sometimes it feels, honestly, like I feel like 
there's a lot of times that Seth is talking to himself and he's having a dialogue that is making sense completely to himself that is somewhat foreign to anyone who isn't in his process. So you lose some for that frame around what he's talking about if he's being general and vague. And that's something that is, is a little rub for me with his content. Yeah. So anyway, so I think those are interesting. I'm now going to be following, thanks for listening to um, Olivia, I'm going to be following uh, at the Brand Builder because um, I think he has a very interesting perspective um, and uh, I think we come from the same place in a lot of things. So I sort of, I identified with his perspective. So I was interested to, to meet him through you, Kate. So well, I should be following him from now on. That's awesome. But, uh, you know, fair warning, he is a Frenchman. So, you know, I don't know how I was going to go down. Uh, <laughs> that whole British, French thing, you know, it's always a little tricky. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, you know, yes, you guys are both marketers at heart. Yes, you guys are both living in America now. But yeah, you never know, you know, there could be some Something in the genetic pool that uh, just flicks off. I, I worked I worked for a French company for four years That's and I right. worked for L'Oreal. I, I think I've got their number just about. You, you, you might. You just might. Well, <laughs> Mickey, it's always a pleasure getting to talk with you. At some point, you and I are going to meet in person. It's just a matter are, of when, yeah. where, and how long we're going to need uh, to uh, sit down and, and uh, possibly grab an alcoholic drink. But, that's uh, going to be several points. That's all I can tell you. Uh, that's that's the girl <laughs> after my own heart. Gotta tell you. <laughs> well, all thank right, you well, again. It's great to speak to you. Take care. Speak to you soon. <laughs> As you can see, Mickey and I can go back and forth pretty much all day long. Why don't you follow her up? That's at Talkbox. Hit up the website she's representing. That's Talkbox.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please, anything that she or I mentioned is in the show notes over at meetmyfollowers.com. I hope that you will come back and listen to another episode. Either way, though, go out and have a great day.